it's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Coming up later, there's a strategy more and more first-time homebuyers are using to be able to get in a home sooner before you've been able to save the down payment you'd like to save, but it comes with a big drawback I'll share with you. So I, for years, have been a huge fan of how nurse practitioners and physician's assistants are the key to improving the quality and access to health care in the United States. And I've been like a broken record about it. And it's generated a lot of negative response from medical doctors that I'm encouraging people to receive inferior care. But the math says we just don't have enough doctors available, especially in any primary care field. Because after a doctor has been through the years of medical school, and in many cases has a large pile of student loans, a medical doctor is more likely going to veer towards a specialization and not towards primary care in pediatrics or adult or family practice because the pay is not anywhere near what the specialists earn. Well, the marketplace is speaking. And now, roughly one quarter of primary care in the United States is provided now by nurse practitioners. That doesn't even account for the amount being done by PAs. And that's from a new study in health affairs, which I guess is a a, uh, trade journal. But... The shortage of doctors continues, and I have been to PAs, NPs, and of course MDs over the course of my lifetime, and there is a significant potential advantage to choosing an NP or a PA as your primary medical provider versus an MD. And the advantage is that medical doctors are under such enormous pressure for productivity to see patient after patient after patient after patient that often they will not spend and can't afford to spend the time with you necessary because NPs and PAs' time is billed at a lower cost. There's less time pressure and historically they will spend more time with a patient than a doctor will and will be able to dig through the layers of what's going on with you beyond just a quick conversation a quick diagnosis and a quick dismissal so if you are going to a practice or you're seeking out someone for primary care and you're trying to decide who you should see I really strongly recommend you widen your search and consider NPs and PAs. And they spend a lot of time in school, not as much as a doctor, but the knowledge level that 
each has is meaningful and significant and provides an opportunity for people to have access to medical care who otherwise might not have it. Now, if you are an MD and you want to give rebuttal to this, please go to Clark.com, go to Clark Stinks, and give the other side of the coin, the other perspective, where mine is so much based as a patient, as a customer, you as a medical professional may disagree very much. Susan's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Susan. Hi there. Susan, you have an offer for an investment opportunity you wanted to run by me. I do. I got it on the internet, um, pop just normally, and um, first it said that it was a new bank, and I've been looking at online banking, and so it said, uh, you know, you have to sign up right away. So I signed up for more information, and then the next day, I got a notice from them that it was an investment firm, and then the third day, I got a notice from them saying that um, I needed to sign up right now, otherwise I I was going to lose my place in line, and they were going to give it to somebody else. Well, that got me really wondering if this was even legitimate. Okay, so let me tell you what this is. It is a supposed investment organization where you invest with them, but you do so at underlying costs that are extremely high. Okay. So if you buy investments from them, you can end up paying versus the lowest cost providers generally about 20 times the cost in annual management fees. Even if you look at moderately low-cost providers, you're still paying four to five times per year in management expenses than you'd pay otherwise. Wow. Okay. Not really for the middle class, then. Well, uh, the idea of, of this is that they are providing advice, if you will, and saying the advice is available for free, but making up that cost through very high expenses in the investments you go into. Okay. Good Tell me know. what kind of investing you're trying to do. Let me see if I can give you an alternative path. Well, I was just looking. Um, I have a company that I, a financial advisor, and, but I have some money that I thought that I, I just want to keep liquid in savings, but the regular rates at credit unions, et cetera, are so low that, and your um, online bank's interest is usually a little bit higher, and that's what they're saying. That yeah, so going going with one of the online banks, and if you go to, as an example, to bankrate.com and you click on best rates on savings, you can see who has the best rates in the country right now, which is one point, right around one point something, not anything to jump for joy about, right? Right. But for money that you need to have access to, you have to just park it in one of those 1% spaces. Okay. Because you cannot invest when it's money you need quick access to. Because the very nature of investing is you can lose money over time. Right. That I understand. And so, and this is money that um, I don't need right now, but if an emergency comes up, I would need it. That's the whole idea of a rainy day account, and rainy day money cannot, by its nature, be invested without creating way too much risk for you. Okay. Great to know. 
So this was uh, what I'm particularly disturbed about, what you described to me, is that this organization was so mysterious yes. about what they were doing and all that. Anytime an organization is not just out and out clear about what they're up to, that's when you know that you should be suspicious, and I'm glad you called. Okay, thank you for, for your time. Absolutely. Brenda's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Brenda. Hi, Clark. Brenda, you're looking at going solar. Yes, and I have been on your website, and I read what you had said, and um, I'm pretty much to the point where I'm trying to figure out. I know your first option is not leasing, um, but if you don't have, to, if I don't have the money to buy it outright, would you say it would be good to do the PPA or um, should I get a loan and purchase the solar panels? I believe that for people who aren't aware, a power purchase agreement, mm-hmm. um, with that, most of the savings generated by the panels are going to the company that that does the PPA with you. You still have obligations with it. I look at it as uh, not the greatest idea but if you were to finance the panels, you get all the savings from the power. The danger to you is if at some point the rules changed in the middle of the game and your state no longer offered a favorable system for how you would be compensated for power they bought from you. Okay. I get what you're saying, but you're saying that if I have a choice that I should probably do the loan absolutely do the loan and the loans people have been getting the loans at very decent interest rates and should i should i get the loan through the company or should i try to get my own whichever place you get a cheaper interest rate okay and what are they offering from the solar company okay where would be the best place if i wanted to get a loan on my own is there a website i can go to well actually i'd go to a local bank or credit union Okay. And see if they're writing solar loans. But uh, I don't think you heard my question. What interest rate is the solar company offering? Oh, I'm sorry. One is offering 4.99, and the other one's offering 3.99. And are those fixed rates or just teaser rates? Fixed. If those are fixed rates, don't even bother going to look for a loan elsewhere. Those rates are so good that you're not going to beat them elsewhere. Okay. And you know, you right now get 30% of the cost of the system back as a federal tax credit. Okay. And then if I put that, they told me if I put that back into the panels or something, that I guess the rate remains the same, I think. I don't know what they mean by that. Oh, okay. But anyway, yeah, I, if you, let's say they sell you a, a system at a typical cost, which is somewhere a little less or a little more than $20,000. Right. You end up getting an effective cost after you get the tax credit of more like 14000 more or less. Okay. Okay. So then I'm, I think that, that was the way I was leaning towards, but I wasn't sure, and they kept pushing that PPA. Yeah, I'm um, not a fan of the PPAs. Okay. So, the so you own it. Alone. You own it. You have an asset. When you go to sell your home... You have an asset for the person buying your home that if they recognize how much money they're saving in energy, that's reflected in what people pay you to buy the house. Where when you have a PPA, 
you're trying to convince somebody that they want to inherit your obligation, where one is an obligation, the other is an asset. Right. So that's why I like that you, even if you can't pay cash for a system, which most people can't, that you finance it at the very low interest rates that many of them are offering, and you own the thing, and then you're just saving money year after year. But again, I want to emphasize the one risk to getting solar is that your state public service public utilities commission changes the rules about how solar customers are treated in the middle of the game after you already own it. And that's a nasty thing for your wallet. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where a question you posted at Clark.com is given to me by Joel. And Joel, who do you have your first Ask Clark from? Clark, we got one from Gloria. She says, I was on your website, Clark, looking for protection for my computer, and I saw your free antivirus software guide. I was looking particularly at Avast. What's your take on that? Do you have any recommendations? Well, you know, the choice between the two that are the best known free ones are Avast and AVG. And I don't know that one is necessarily better than the other. It's just a matter of which one you like better than the other. So I think using either would be a great start. In reviews that the techies do, these both rate okay. They don't rate as like the absolute best. That tends to go to ones that you pay a fair amount for. All right, and Steve wrote in, he says, Clark, the other day I heard you say on the radio to not buy timeshares. The people pay you to take their weeks or at least give them to you for free. How would I get in touch with somebody like that? Okay, so the deal is they're paying you to take over their timeshare. So you're fully obligated to it going forward. But where they may have paid eight, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars to buy the week, plus they bought all the obligations, you end up getting the timeshare with them potentially paying you or giving you the timeshare just so that you will take over the obligation. So one place you should go is go to the timeshare users group and you can Google timeshare users group. Or I can tell you the web address is tug, T-U-G, the number two, dot net, and read reviews of owners and what they're saying about places they own a week. And also there are people there trying to get rid of their weeks. So either way, you'll get the info you need. In addition to that, look at vacatia.com, V-A-C-A-T-I-A, where people are trying to get rid of their timeshares as well. We got one from Rashid. He says, can you suggest the best app for Android or Apple for monitoring a teen son or daughter's activities? Well, the, the one that is considered to be the most thorough, the most intrusive, and your son or daughter doesn't even know it's there, is TeenSafe. And if you go to TeenSafe.com, this is one I talked about before, it is available for both iPhone and Android and allows you a deep dig into what's going on on your kid's phone. It's very expensive. It's $15 a month. But you are able to know every text that goes through that phone, deleted or otherwise, every Snapchat. I mean, you know everything your kid's up to. So you got to have something you're really trying to monitor. You also can control what apps can be on a teen's phone. But there's also others that are cheaper and less intrusive. 
I've got a good guide from PC Magazine we'll link to on today's show notes at Clark.com. All right, and Sherry wrote in, she says, I heard you mention recently, Clark, your favorite search engine on a show, but I didn't catch the name. Could you tell me what it is? DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo has not established a lot of market share, but DuckDuckGo does not spy on you. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, just like it always was, you can set it as your default search engine on the web, DuckDuckGo, and it's really neat because they aren't doing all that weird spying and the results you get are not crazed by advertiser results. Glad to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. So home prices around the country are up generally 50 to 75% over the last nine years, average price. And that has put a world of hurt on people that are new to the housing market trying to buy a first home. In addition to having to deal with a monthly payment, before you even get to that, coming up with a substantial down payment is a real burden. So I'm getting more questions from people about new programs where someone else puts up the down payment for you or a portion of the down payment and in turn they get a portion of the hopefully expected profits down the road when you'd go to sell your home. Now these things are both being done by organizations that have good funding behind them that are opening up city by city and these shared equity arrangements are being offered by wealthy individuals looking for a way to invest in real estate, many times for a family member or friend most often that an individual is involved. So I want to tell you this is not a free lunch. I think about the last question I had about this was from someone who painted the choice very starkly that they would be able to buy a home four years sooner doing a shared equity deal than waiting till they had sufficient down payment on their own. So it's a trade-off because, yes, you are in your own home. And if it does increase in value over the years, which homes often will do simply because of general inflation in the economy, different pattern than what we've had over the last decade, part of what people hope over time allows them to move on to a next home or to maybe build up some net worth from real estate, you short-circuit a lot of that when you do a shared equity purchase where somebody else is taking risk up front for you with you in return for a share of reward. So I'm not going to tell you that these shared equity offers are bad for you but you need to go in with your eyes wide open and look beyond and think beyond just that it means you get in your own home sooner it is not a free lunch it's actually a potentially pretty costly one with some serious indigestion for your wallet down the road when you do go to sell jay joins us on the clark howard show hello jay 
Hello, Clark. How are you doing? Great, thank you. You have had a successful sale of one thing, and you want to use that to extinguish debt on another thing. Perhaps. Uh, I Let me preface what I want to say with, I have a dream one day to have a property somewhere in the country when I retire, which will be in about eight years. I plan on retiring in about eight years. And I just sold a piece of property that I did have, long story, but the owner could no longer do the subdivision he had planned. So I sold my lot back to him, and I have now $65,000 to decide some different options, what I want to do with it. Now, the one option I came up with, I called my bank where I had my mortgage. My mortgage is at 3.5%. And I can put the entire $65,000 down on my mortgage, uh, and it's a 15-year mortgage. I'm currently in, uh, have 14 years left. Uh, What this does is if I do the whole amount on my mortgage, it knocks six years off my mortgage. I save $30,000 in interest, and I'm pretty much just about, if not paid off with the mortgage by the time I retire. The second option I'm thinking about is to buy another lot somewhere so that when I do retire, I have the lot and I don't have to worry about the increase in lot prices, perhaps. We don't, never know the future, but that's one other option. And then the other thing I thought about was, well, maybe take half the proceeds, put it on the mortgage, and the other half put it in a lot fund for a new lot. Um so, um, so can we talk about some things here? Sure. All right. Do you have any other debts in your life, Jay? No. Good for you. And how are you? You say you're planning to retire in, you said, eight years? Yes. So what are you going to live on when you retire? My, uh, primarily my pension. All right. You're one of those few Americans who have an actual real pension. And the pension will cover, as best you guesstimate, what percent of your living expenses? Minimum 60, maybe 80% at least. And I have have some other investments of maybe 100,000 or 150. Okay. That's all important because the question comes, when you you do retire, you want to live somewhere else in the country. Yes. You're thinking of buying a lot, building a house on it, Yes. All right. So I'm going to tell you some of my biases, okay? You're going to live somewhere completely different in the country, and Uh this is going to blow your mind, but I'd say when you go to wherever you're thinking you want to live permanently after you retire, I would want you to rent at first for as much as a year, at least six months, Uh and not put yourself into a commitment where you own a piece of land Because you may get somewhere and it seems ideal to you and you get there and you live there for several months and you're like, or a year, and you're like, why did I think I want to be here? Uh Uh-huh. You wouldn't, you can't even imagine how often that happens with people who retire and move somewhere else in the country. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you have a place that you then got to figure out how to sell. Yeah. So I would discourage you from sinking money into a lot right now. Okay. I also have a big bias when you retire that I'd rather you buy a a lot with a house already on it 
than build unless you just love the whole building process. Uh-huh. So those are my first impressions. On the issue of paying the 65000 You you answered a question I was going to ask you. You have a cushion already in place to deal with rainy day. And then you've got the pension to live on. So if you, even though your mortgage rate is so low, there's nothing else you can do with that money right now that will generate a return of 3.5% or above. Mm-hmm. So I think it's fine if you want to pay down on the loan. On the mortgage? Yeah. Uh, Just take all 65 and throw it at the mortgage. Okay. But given the options, the one I do not advise is taking the money now and putting it into a lot where you think you might want to live. Don't worry about what might happen with land prices over the next seven or eight years because so much happens in your life over the next seven or eight years. Ann is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ann. Hey, Clark. How you doing? Great. Thank you, Ann. Thanks. I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that your husband is maybe going to lose his job? Uh, it's dreadful, yes. This yes. is this is a situation that used to be one call after another after another. Years ago, I really don't hear that call very often now, which is actually very good yes. for your husband's situation. Oh, that's good. <laughs> What's going on? Is the company in trouble? or uh, Kind of. It's more... Uh, I won't dilly-dally too much. There's just a new guy in who likes to get rid of about half the staff, and he lasted and lasted and lasted, and now his time is finally up. So (laughs) that's where we are. And how long has he been with this firm? 31 years. Oh, no. I know. You're going to make me cry. (laughs) Oh. I know. All right. And can I ask how old your husband is? Yes, he's 58. 58, okay. Mm -hmm. And we've saved our pennies, Clark. I listened to you for a long time. I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, is he in a situation like our prior caller that he'll have a pension in those 31 years? In four years, we'll have a little pension uh, from, a, from a former employer, um, about $353 a month, which is, you know. But not this one? No. Okay. How can I be of help? Well, we're looking to see if maybe we can semi-retire and just live on some self-employment income. And I'm just looking for the formula. What do I need to look for? Is there a checklist to begin in the situation where we find ourselves? Is well, the very first thing is thorough budgeting. We yeah, we we have we live so far beneath our budget. Oh, I don't I don't mean I don't mean okay. scrimping and all that. I mean okay. just knowing what it costs you. I is, do know we yeah we can live on less than thirty thousand a year. I do know that. Wow. But yes, now, at that kind of income. It would be very unusual if you could not replace that with either some part-time income or self-employment. Okay. Well, we already, he makes just about that. It's gross, of course, with the self-employment taxes, they really get you. Um, but we gross about 25000 self-employment income already. But now that, that 30000 does not include, the, of course, the health insurance. Yeah, that's, that's a net, too. That's the biggie. Yeah. So if he already is doing a side thing that's generating that level of income, mm-hmm. I would feel very confident and comfortable that you could generate the income you need. Okay. I, I would not fret. He's got skills that he's developed over those 31 years. 
He does. He's actually very good at what he does. That have value in the marketplace? Yes, but limited. Uh, without saying what he does, it's, it's yeah, like a handful of people in each market do this job. So. Well, but he can network with people who are refugees from this same guy's purge, who are his <laughs> friends. You're... Yes. So I, I would feel okay in this case. You've, you have earned the right to feel okay because of how careful you and your husband have been with money. Been very careful. It's good to be debt free. We just for this kind of thing, we've always worked to be debt free. Well, so I would I would feel okay, and I would not be too anxious because you have already put the building blocks in place to be okay, and I'm certain you're going to be okay. Lee is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Lee. Hello, Clark. How Thank are you? Thank you so much for taking my call. I'm doing great. Thank you. You're going to buy a now. car. I am ready. I am driving a 12-year-old sedan. Oh, a baby. That thing's still just getting out of car <laughs> diapers at 12 years, isn't it? Yeah. All the lights are starting to go off, and uh, actually we had a little bit of engine problem, and um, I need to get uh, a little bit more peace of mind. I got and it. So- I was teasing you because you hit 10 <laughs> years in a car. You're, you've done everything you can for your wallet. How many so- miles does the 12-year-old vehicle have on it? Uh, almost 150,000. Okay, so you drive a, a average kind of amount, maybe a little less than average. So yeah. what are you thinking of doing this time? Are you thinking of buying a, a new car or a used? Or Well, that's one of my questions to you. We plan on keeping the car for another 10 years at least. So um, I always thought about buying at least a two-year-old car, but I heard that if you if you go for a 10 or you know 8 to 10 year plan on keeping the car maybe buying new uh would be justified and uh, so that's one of my questions to you yeah the math is pretty clear that if you buy a new vehicle and you keep it 10 years that you are really doing a good job for your wallet okay so if you since you have a history of keeping a vehicle a long time, if you want to buy a new one, it doesn't matter you're doing what's called riding depreciation down, you know, because in the first three years, you lose a substantial amount of the vehicle. It's not as meaningful when you keep the car 10 years. Okay. Now, to tell you the math equivalent, if you oh. buy a car that's a few years old and keep it four years, it's the same math for you. If you were, let's say, buying a three-year-old car you kept for four years, it would have the same financial impact on you as buying a new one and keeping it 10. But in any case, you're conservative and careful with your money, obviously. So if you want to buy new and keep it a decade, go for it. Oh, okay. So if I bought a two-year-old and kept it for five... Be the and, same uh, math. Uh-huh. And then I could be switching cars every five years and still feel That's pretty true. good about my money. That's absolutely true. But, I, you know, I'm fine with you buying new because you kept the old one 12 years. So if yeah. you don't want to have to worry about what history a vehicle has and all that, yeah, buy the new one. But if you do buy a two- or three-year-old car, and I see you're interested in a luxury car, 
Yeah, we were thinking about a luxury SUV. So we'll those be driving a little bit more. So I also wanted to ask you uh, how to consider maybe a hybrid, or hmm. why or why not. So buying a hybrid new generally doesn't work out because the premium at this point that the manufacturers are charging for a hybrid version of a vehicle that also comes gas engine is uh-huh. too large a spread. But the interesting thing about that is if you buy a two or three year old, let's say luxury SUV that comes as a hybrid or gas engine, the gap between the two has closed enough that with an ownership cycle like you're looking at, it would probably work for your wallet to buy the used hybrid. But if you're buying new, you probably want to buy the new gas engine one. Ah, interesting. But if you do buy anything used, please follow my rule that you have it inspected by a mechanic of your choosing. Definitely, okay. Any dealer that won't let you have a vehicle inspected by your mechanic is a dealer you don't buy from. Because they got something to hide. Okay. And and uh, when I take it to the mechanic, I mean, my mechanic is somebody I've been going for 20 years. He knows pretty much what to look for. Is it pretty oh, yeah. basic? Yeah, there are yeah. things, uh, you know, it's always possible an experienced mechanic will miss something. But the odds are so much improved when you have that inspection done that you should be A-OK. Okay. I also have at Clark.com where before you even go to the step of paying a mechanic to inspect a vehicle for you is to run the vehicle history on it. And Uh we now have a link to a source where you can run the vehicle history for free instead of paying for a traditional vehicle history report that would cost you, I guess, $10, $15. You can now do that for nothing. Great. And, you know, I like nothing better. (laughs) That's <laughs> a better choice. Paying nothing. It's vehiclehistory.com is the website if you want to skip Clark.com and go straight to it. And when you are interested in a vehicle, you ask the dealer for the VIN, run the VIN, and make sure that the car has not been in a bad entanglement on the roads or something else. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I appreciate you spending part of your day with us here on the Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that if you need consumer advice, we're here to serve you off air for free, nine hours a day. If you go to Clark.com and go down the home screen, you'll see a section, Consumer Help and Tools. Click on Consumer Action Center and you can get that free off the air advice.